everyone, and welcome to another Conspiracy-Pilled Bible Stream. I am PJ Williams, and as always, Abby Libby is joining me. How are you doing, Abby? Good. How are you? I am good. I had a busy day. Did you have a good uh, New Year's? I did. Yeah. I, yeah? I like, I, I really like the feeling at the start of a new year where you're just like, oh, I just get to kind of start over, and I like the... Um, like I spent a lot of time last night just kind of reviewing my year, going through all my old pictures, picking out highlights, um, accomplishments, stuff like that, and just kind of looking back on it all and then and then writing out um, goals and stuff for next year. It just it just feels good. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I was so excited for the new year and then I woke up and realized that it's an election year. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm excited for the new year. Um it's been it's been good. I had a really busy day and it was like a good kind of busy. So I was like, all right, going into 2024, kind of just figuring out where things are going. Uh, we have a, a podcast that we were on dropped today and I totally forgot about it. So um, I haven't told, posted it in Discord or anything like that, but we will after the show and got an interview tomorrow. We got a whole lot of stuff coming up and we just wanted to kick off the year in the best way that we could by starting getting back into and trying to be more regular with the Bible streams. We started Ezekiel feels like forever ago. <laughs> And uh, we're this is our fifth stream in Ezekiel. We're continuing through it. We're starting in chapter twenty-three. Um, and uh, before we just jump into it, let's let's just say a prayer, and then we'll just get yeah. into it. And uh, yeah, it'll be fun. All right, let's do it. So, dear Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here. Thank you for uh, all the blessings and all the wonderful things that happened throughout twenty twenty-three and the community that we've been able to build. And for everybody that's here tonight, I just pray that uh, you guide and direct us as we go forward, as we delve into your word, Lord. That you. Uh, just open up the the text and just make it jump off the page to us and speak to us and speak into our lives today. Uh, these are not just old dead words about whatever. They're actually important uh, for all time. And I just pray that we uh, just get closer to you as we as we delve into this, that the people that are watching also feel closer to you and that we just build and grow ourselves uh, as a community and grow ourselves as Christians. And we just thank you and praise you and just pray that uh, in 2024, if nothing else, that we can just continue to chase after you and seek out your will in our lives. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. So, let's yeah. Go. Let's get into it. I want to see if this chat was working. I don't think it's working still. <laughs> ah. Ah. No, it's, it's been so inconsistent lately. There's been new updates. They made it. They made some things better, some things easier, and then some of the like important stuff. Like I feel like the audio is being a little wonky. The chat's being a little wonky. Yeah. Uh, we we can stream to Twitter from here now. <laughs> easier. So, ah, that's good. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we're just, we're just working through the tech issues, guys. So, that's 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 my uh, real prayer for 2024 is that we can get to the end of the year and oh my gosh, and uh, have an actual functioning working show where everything works and functions and runs so big goals big goals big goals <laughs> all right all right so yeah we're just gonna start in ch chapter 23 yeah let's do it <sighs> okay everybody panic everybody panic wait why is everybody panicking i don't know they all said panic oh 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 lorna said i'm here nobody panic oh which is keyword for everybody panic everybody panic okay all right, please, well. please continue panicking over there so that way we don't have to. Yeah. Keep your panic in your own disco. Um, <laughs> the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. There were two women, the daughters of one mother. They played the whore in Egypt and they played the whore in their youth. Wow, we're getting spicy like yep. right off the bat. See, this is why this is why last time we were streaming I was like we should probably do 23 and you're like no, it's good. I was too I was tired. Like, we're going to start. We're going to start right <laughs> it's in. It's going to be 
I'm, I'm going to explain what some of this means. But look, this this is the most visceral, like, <laughs> chapters be, of the Bible yeah. there is. So, <laughs> Kelsey, PJ's no, favorite verse. This is, this is PJ's life verse. So. My favorite verse is coming up. It is in chapter 23. Yeah. It's it's verse 2. They play... <laughs> They played the whore in Egypt. They played the whore in their youth. There their breasts were pressed and their virgin bosoms handled. Aholah was the name of the elder and Aholibah the name of her sister. They became mine and they bore sons and daughters. As for their names, Aholah is Samaria and Aholibah is Jerusalem. Aholah played the whore while she was mine and she lusted after her lovers, the Assyrians, warriors clothed in purple, governors and commanders, all of them desirable young men, horsemen riding on horses. She bestowed her whoring upon them, the choicest men of Assyria, all of them, and she defiled herself with all the idols of everyone after whom she lusted. She did not give up her whoring that she had begun in Egypt, for in her youth young men had lain with her and handled her virgin bosom, bosom, bosom and poured out their whoring lust upon her therefore i delivered her into the hands of her lovers into the hands of the assyrians after whom she lusted these uncovered her nakedness they seized her sons and her daughters and as for her they killed her with a sword and she became a byword among women when judgment had been executed on her so ahola was samaria okay all right yeah so just quick <laughs> explanation yeah no like that is the thing is uh, it tells you right there but this is about it's all metaphor. It's Jerusalem. It's divided into two kingdoms, right? So you yeah. got the north and the south, and these are the two adulterous sisters is what it's called in in my book. It might be might be the headline here too, but uh, oh no, this is a whole and a whole above. But uh, it is just talking about how they came out of Egypt, how literally Israel came out of Egypt and then became split, and they lusted after other gods. And, and this is like one of those things where... Ezekiel is holding no punches and just kind of, it's it's kind of gross reading it today probably a little bit but it's it's visceral for for impact and the impact yeah. is that they have literally chased after other gods and are acting as prostitutes so like yes. all this language of how to, it's we're not reading hustler it sounds like hustler but the point is that uh they are shameful their acts are shameful and he's calling them out for yeah. being just as shameful as they are I, I think this is actually an interesting case for like christianese is always like we can't say anything that sounds bad even we're describing things that are that are bad detestable abominable awful terrible things yeah. and then you read ezekiel and it's just like yeah your, your sin is is likened unto being a literal whore and I'm going to explain the ways in which you hoard around. It's it's not it's not pulling any punches and stuff like like this is my problem with Christian yeah. movies. It's like the worst thing that the villains can do because they can't like talk about real sin is like he lied. It was a white <gasps> lie though, but like we can't show you know real problem. You know can't we can't show we can't, evil we can't, being evil. Yeah. We can't depict evil as evil. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean th this came up a lot in in talking about even the movie lady ballers where a lot of people were like this was such a bad movie and i'm like it's it's sin depicted as as sin you're just right. not used to the church ever talking about sin in, in truthful terms yeah and showing just how depraved sin yes. is yes agreed yes yeah. um okay i think you were at 11 yes her sister a holy bus so this is jerusalem yep saw this saw what samaria had done 
And she became more corrupt than her sister in her lust and in her whoring, which was worse than that of her sister. She lusted after the Assyrian gover- Assyrians, governors and commanders, warriors clothed in full armor, horsemen riding on horses, all of them desirable young men. Is my is my audio okay? I feel like I'm loud, but I can just... You feel like you're... I feel like you're quieter than me. I can't oh, tell what's going sheesh. on. Okay, let well, us I'll know just in, keep Let going. us know in chat. We're having issues not with our equipment as much as the streaming stuff that we're using. So let us know. I'm trying to figure yeah. it out. And I saw that she was defiled. They both took the same way, but she carried her whoring further. She saw men portrayed on the wall, the images of the Chaldeans portrayed in vermilion, wearing belts on their waist with flowing turbans on their heads, all of them having the appearance of officers, a likeness of Babylonians whose native land was Chaldea. When she saw them, she lusted after them and sent messengers to them in Chaldea. And the Babylonians came to her into the bed of love, and they defiled her with their whoring lust. And after she was defiled by them, she turned from them in disgust. When she carried on her whoring so openly and flaunted her nakedness, I turned in disgust from her, as I had turned in disgust from her sister. Yet she increased her whoring, remembering the days of her youth, when she played the whore in the land of Egypt and lusted after her lovers there, whose members were like those of donkeys, and whose issue was like that of horses. Thus you longed for the lewdness of your youth, when the Egyptians handled your bosom and pressed your young breasts. Therefore, O Aholiba, thus says the Lord God, behold... I will stir up against you your lovers from whom you turned in disgust and I will bring them against you from every side. The Babylonians and all the Chaldeans, Pekod and Shoah and Koah and all the Assyrians with them, desirable young men, governors and commanders, all of them, officers and men of renown, all of them riding on horses. And they shall come against you from the north with chariots and wagons and a host of peoples. They shall set themselves against you on every side with buckler, shield and helmet. And I will commit the judgment to them and they shall judge you according to their judgments. And I will direct my jealousy against you that they may deal with you in fury. I think this is interesting this is kind of how it goes in the Bible when it's like you could, if you want to throw yourself on God, you get judged by his judgment and you get handled according to the way he handles things. But if you choose another way, you get like, you get treated the way that somebody else wants to treat you. Right. Yeah. By the, by their standards and by, <clears throat> um, trying to think of a good, well, yeah, I mean, you go into a foreign land and you prostitute yourself for them and they're uh, wicked and evil people and they do wicked and evil and terrible things. and They're going to do right. those things to you. I mean, this might be a bad uh, visual example, but like you can your mom can hold, you know, your mom can hold her hand. To you and be like, hey, come over here away from that hot stove. Or you can touch the hot stove. You know what I mean? One of you, you're going to touch your mom's hand and be taken away in safety or you're going to burn the crap out of your hand. But God will let you burn your hand on the stove, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that there's also times when you, when you sign up for a different religion, you get judged by that religion. So you see like the woke eating each other in their rules or even, even like very, um, legalistic Christians, just the toxicity of, of judging each other. Um, and just the spirals of, of judging and judging and judging. Finger pointing and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, witch if, hunts if you, and stuff like that. If you actually lean on God, you get judged by his standard, which is actually less bad than the way humans judge each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God has grace and a lot of humans don't. You, you just said a lot of um, 
uh, even uh, legalistic Christians have no have no grace and have learned no grace. Mm-hmm. And it's that it's that parable. I don't remember where it's at in the New Testament. It's it's in one of the Gospels where he's like, "You owed a guy money, and uh, you wouldn't, re- or you, you owed someone money, and he forgave you, and then someone owed you money, and you didn't forgive them, and therefore the guy who had originally forgiven you will throw you in prison." That's God talking about yeah. like not being able to give, forgive others, right? Um, I want to finish this chapter. There's so many thoughts on yeah. it, or at least this part, before yeah. I get into it. Um, okay. They shall cut off your nose and your ears, and your survivors shall fall by the sword. They shall seize your sons and your daughters, and your survivors shall be devoured by fire. They shall also strip you of your clothes and take away your beautiful jewels. Thus I will put an end to your lewdness and your whoring begun in the land of Egypt, so that you shall not lift up your eyes to them or remember Egypt any more. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will deliver you into the hands of those whom you hate, into the hands of those from whom you turned in disgust, and they shall deal with you in hatred, and take away all the fruit of your labor, and leave you naked and bare, and the nakedness of your whoring shall be uncovered. Your lewdness and your whoring have brought this upon you, because you played the whore with the nations and defiled yourself with their idols. You have gone the way of your sister. Therefore, I will give her cup into your hand. Thus says the Lord God. Hold on one second. I was just thinking, sorry, I did have an example that I wanted to bring up earlier. You said that other nations will judge you based on like how yeah. they judge. Right. Well, the b- best example of this is you remember when ISIS was a thing for mm-hmm. a while there and uh, there was young college age white girls that thought it was trendy and cool, like a Che Guevara t-shirt to go join ISIS. Oh. And then you would hear the news story a few months later that they were raped and beheaded Yeah, by these barbarians that they were whoring themselves to. Yeah. Literally, I mean, that's the Literally. same exact yeah. thing. And Again, like to understand this language, I think we already said it, but just he keeps talking about coming out of Egypt. Like this is biblical history, right? They come from Egypt, then they keep turning around to those gods that they had supposedly left. They were prostituting themselves to those gods at the time. They'd forgotten Yahweh. They'd forgotten their own God. Mm-hmm. It's the same. It, all the visual imagery is about Israel, right? Yes. Um, but I feel like that's the same. A lot of what this... I always try to put this stuff in context. And obviously a lot of what we're talking about is the with the books that we're picking and the books that we're reading is end times prophecy type stuff, end times revelation type stuff, and like where our world is headed. And w- with this being, again, it's a little bit uncomfortable to read this in the t- context because we've been taught that like this is the things mm-hmm. that Christians don't talk about. We don't say, we don't call out people in certain ways and say right. harsh and lewd things about people who are being harsh and lewd. But... Who are the gods that people are worshiping in our streets? I mean, we just had a guy tear a head off of a, a Baphomet statue in Iowa, right? Right. But like, that's the least of it, right? We've got people who are literally topless, covering themselves in blood, doing these weird like abortion feminist rituals in the street. Like they're just absolutely lewd, crude, and disgusting in front of kids. Like mm-hmm. an LGBT pride uh, parade. A, an Ishtar parade being paraded down the street in front of children where they bring children. I mean, it is the absolute most disgusting, depraved things, Sodom and Gomorrah in our streets. Yeah. So when we read this and we're uncomfortable by it, it's like, but this is the world that you see outside of your house in New York if it's June. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're walking 100%. down the street in California in in June um, or any other time of the year, right? So I just see it happening all over again. That's because like the Bible is not just true for Ezekiel when... Uh, Babylon came in and, and kicked their teeth in and stole a bunch of their people a few thousand mm-hmm. years ago. It's true today, and it's true for America, and it's true for people who have come here and brought their own wicked gods here. We were supposed to be a Christian nation. We have people that are coming here and bringing in Sharia law to places like uh, Fort Wayne and places mm-hmm. like uh, 
Dearborn and stuff like that. And then we're seeing the consequences of that and what was supposedly some type of Christian nation. Mm-hmm. And it's just the same story being played all over again. The more that we whore ourselves out to Baphomet and Ishtar and Allah, the more that we're going to be the, the more that we are already deserving of the exact type of punishment. Right. And I just think it's so interesting that this, these next few chapters are about God saying, you can't turn back to me fast enough as a country mm. because your country is so wicked. Yeah. So it's also interesting that like Israel watched this happen to Samaria and then they walked the same path and we're yeah. seeing the same thing play out in the world that y- you watch a religion or an ideology destroy a, con- a country and then you yep. watch a completely fine country just walk right down that path too and get destroyed too. And it's well, like, it, what are you thinking? We just talked about what Europe's doing right now. Europe is yeah. next door neighbors to the Middle East watching it destroy itself because yeah. their demonic God that they serve. And then they're importing the people who worship the demonic God and then changing the laws to like appease these people's demonic gods. It's, yeah. it's they're inviting it's in chaos. And so are yeah. we as a country. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yep. All right. Thus says the Lord, you shall drink your sister's cup that is deep and large and you shall be laughed at and held in derision for it contains much. You will be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, a cup of horror and desolation, the cup of your sister Samaria, and you shall drink it and drain it out and gnaw its shards and tear your breasts. For I have spoken, declares the Lord God. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back, you yourself must bear the consequences of your lewdness and whoring. The Lord said to me, son of man, will you judge Ahola and Aholibah? Declare to them their abominations, for they have committed adultery. The blood is on their hand and blood is on their hands. With their idols, they have committed adultery and they have even offered up to them for food, for food, the children whom they had born to me. So this child sacrifice comes up at the at the like most depraved point of every culture, basically. It always we've talked about this, but like historically, there's two things that happen, and they always happen in the same order, right? Mm-hmm. There is uh, I don't know how to say it, gay um, homosexuality. Homo- homosexuality it yeah. invades a culture, Greece, Rome, mm-hmm. uh, the Middle East, you name it, and then the homosexuality turns into child uh, yes. sexuality. Yes. As it did, again, Greece, Rome, and the Middle East. There's a thing called Baka Bazi that is celebrated in the Middle East to this day in public. And it's a normalized thing in Afghanistan. And we're seeing it happen here, unfortunately. But then child sacrifice comes in from that. Mm Because it's not just enough to, I can't say it in any nice way. It's not just enough to, like, rape these children. Then you have to kill them, too. And that's the, I mean, it goes all the way back to Moloch. It's ancient. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's been been done over and over and over. It's nothing, nothing new. Um, moreover, this they have done to me. They have defiled my sanctuary on the same day and profaned my Sabbaths. For when they had slaughtered their children and sacrificed to their idols, on the same day they came into my sanctuary to profane it. And behold, this is what they did in my house. They even sent for men to come from afar, to whom a messenger was sent. And behold, they came. For them you bathed yourself, painted your eyes, and adorned yourself with ornaments. You sat on a stately couch with a table spread before it, on which you had placed my incense and my oil. The sound of a carefree multitude was with her and with men of the common sort. Drunkards were brought from the wilderness, and they put bracelets on the hands of the women and beautiful crowns on their heads. Then I said of her, who was worn out by adultery, now they will continue to use her for a whore, even her. For they have gone into her as men go into a prostitute. Thus they went into Ahola and to Aholaba, lewd women. But righteous men shall pass judgment on them with the sentence of adulteress. 
of adulteresses and with the sentence of women who shed blood because they are adulteresses and blood is on their hands. For thus says the Lord God, bring up a vast host against them and make them an object of terror and a plunder. And the host shall stone them and cut them down with their swords. They shall kill their sons and their daughters and burn up their houses. Thus will I put an end to the lewdness in the land that all women may take warning and not commit lewdness as you have done. And they shall return your lewdness upon you, and you shall bear the penalty for your sinful idolatry, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Yeah. That's chapter 23. Yeah. You know, the, it was talking about how the, the temples were once set up. They laid out mats and incense and altars mm-hmm. to God, and then they turned those things over to what you know, all the gods, right? We've seen this. This, again, the, sometimes the Old Testament seems repetitive, but it's like because human history is repetitive. We keep doing the same things. It's like God comes in, he saves you, or he lets you learn a lesson, and then you turn to other gods and you prostitute yourself. We just saw, we just witnessed in America not that long ago the pro- temple prostitute thing played out in real time because these same people who are calling the, the Senate chambers like, People worship the government, right? The Senate chambers have become this holy, sacred ground. And then you have people in there literally filming multiple at this point. At least two have come out. There's probably more uh, like gay sex tapes inside of the, the Senate. Like, yeah, this is this is the this is temple prostitution yep. in, in the thing in a in a temple that we have replaced the, the Christian church with mm. just playing out all over again. Yeah. Yeah. So. I feel like 23, when you understand it, it's pretty straightforward. So I don't know if there's much like there. Um, what was the than... verse you really liked? Oh, okay. <laughs> it's 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 uh, chapter 23, verse 20. I'll tell the, that story really quick if anybody doesn't remember or hasn't heard it before. But uh, I had a pastor friend, and he would tell people uh, when they asked him his favorite verse, he would say, Ezekiel chapter 23, verse 20, just so they would go look it up. <laughs> And uh, oh. the the I, he never directly told me what it was, but I kind of get a sense of humor. So I think the point was, I don't like taking the Bible out of context and using single verses to mean something personal to me when they probably don't. You know what I mean? Right. Like, uh, if I read this one verse, it sounds nice and cute and cuddly, and that's my faith wrapped up in a verse. Right. And when you read chapter Ezekiel chapter twenty three twenty and and lusted after her lovers there, whose members were like those of donkeys, and whose issues was like that of horses is the most lewd verse in the entire Bible. Yeah. Um, so the it's point awesome. is like, you really need to read Ezekiel in its entirety and understand that. Otherwise, you, you know, it's like, wow, <laughs> it was a shock people. But I think, I think the shock factor was like on purpose of like the whole Bible is not just, uh, you know, John three sixteen or some like nice, mm-hmm. you know, um, our faith has to be deeper than like, a single verse and then I've memorized one verse I'm good and set to go for the rest of my life kind of thing so what I mean the thing I love about the Bible most is that the things I hate most about your typical Christian the Bible's like uh uh-uh. uh if they <laughs> if those people actually read the Bible it would they wouldn't be like that yeah yeah and it's like oh you can't talk about <laughs> violence and things like that and it's like I mean, a lot of the Bible's about war <laughs> chat let's we'll let I'll let chat answer Frida's question because I don't feel like question. it. <laughs> what's issue? Oh, what's an issue? Somebody in chat will fill you. Yeah. Uh, when a man loves a woman ask very your much. Ask your husband. husband. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I'm not making fun. I think she's just kidding anyway. Um, Probably. All right. Chapter twenty four. <laughs> what's the horse's issue? <laughs> See, there's there's, there's birds, the and they have sex with the bees. 
I never understood that reference. Birds and bees. <laughs> I never actually got the birds and the bees, like because I, I still, as a thirty-two-year-old adult, don't fully understand what that metaphor is supposed to be. Yeah. Because if the birds have sex with the bees, the bees would explode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just. I'm sorry. Let's move on. <laughs> So it's just one of those we, things that people that's say. That's like, got why? To. Why? Maybe we should be more <clears throat> christian easy. Maybe, Maybe that's we should. what I'll this st- stream yep. needs. <laughs> Lorna Dune. The horse's issue is that there is not enough hay. <laughs> that's it. That That's the one right there. That's, that's what his issue is. Yep. <laughs> All right. Chapter 24. In the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, write down the name of this day, this very day. The king of Babylon has laid siege to Jerusalem this very day and utter a parable to the rebellious house and say to them, thus says the Lord God, flip the page, set on, set on the pot, set it on. (laughs) This is not the toilet. He's like, set the pot on the, set on the pot, set it on, pour in water also, put in it the pieces of meat. All the good pieces, the thigh and the shoulder, fill it with cho- with choice bones. Take the choicest one of the flock, pile the logs under it, boil it well, seethe also its bones in it. The cooking with God. Cooking with God. Um, therefore, thus says the Lord God, woe to the bloody city, to the pot whose corrosion is in it and whose corrosion has not gone out of it. Take out of it piece after piece without making any choice for the blood she has shed is in her midst and she put it on the bare rock. She did not pour it out on the ground to cover it with dust to rouse my wrath to take vengeance. In other words, she's not hiding her sin anymore. Like we've, we've passed the point of, yeah, I shed blood, but I like covered it with some dirt. No. Yeah. I got a, I got a good little thing in here that kind of just explains the imagery a little bit. And it says the cooking pot is Jerusalem. Uh, and what follows the imagery shifts from cooking the meat and bones in the pot to burning away the impurities that adhere to the pot uh. and then repeats the cycle. Uh, so choice meat would be the people of Jerusalem who thought they were spared in, uh, in the exile 597. Because this is, this is the other important historical fact. Ezekiel is after the first wave. So Babylon comes in, defeats Jerusalem, takes a bunch of slaves for the first time, mm-hmm. and then there's a second wave where they come and take essentially the rest of them. Nice. So there's people who think that they've been spared and they haven't been. So, yeah. Okay. Um, to rouse my wrath, to take vengeance, I have set on the bare rock, the blood she has shed, that it may not be covered. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, woe to the bloody city. I also will make the pile great. Heap on the logs, kindle the fire, boil the meat well, mix in the spices and let the bones be burned up. Then set it empty upon the coals that it may become hot and its copper may burn, that its uncleanness may be melted in it, its corrosion consumed. She has wearied herself with toil. Its abundant corrosion does not go out of it into the fire with its corrosion. On account of your unclean lewdness, because I would have clean cleansed you and you were not like I wanted to clean cleanse you, I, but you mm-hmm. were you were not cleansed from your uncleanness. You shall not be cleansed anymore till I have satisfied my fury upon you. I am the Lord. I have spoken it. It shall come to pass. I will do it. I will not go back. I will not spare. I will not relent. According to your ways and your deeds, you will be judged, declares the Lord God. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, behold, I am about to take the delight of your eyes away from you at a stroke, yet you shall not mourn or weep, nor shall your te- shall your tears run down. Sigh, but not aloud, make no mourning for the dead, 
Bind on your turban and put shoes on your feet. Do not cover your lips nor eat the bread of men. So I spoke to the people in the morning and at evening my wife died. And on the next morning I did as I was commanded. And the people said to me, will you not tell us what these things mean for us that you are acting thus? Then I said to them, the word of the Lord came to me. Say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will profane my sanctuary, the pride of your power, the delight of your eyes and the yearning of your soul and your son's in your daughters, whom you left behind, shall fall by the sword. Sorry, I'm a little out of breath. Stop being so pregnant. <laughs> um, you shall do as I have done. You shall not cover your lips, nor eat the bread of men. Your turban shall be on your heads and your shoes on your feet. You shall not mourn or weep, but you shall rot away in your iniquities and groan to one another. Thus shall Ezekiel be to you a sign according to all that he has done you shall do when this comes then you will know that i am the lord as for you son of man surely on the day when i take from them their stronghold their joy and glory the delight of their eyes their soul's desire and also their sons and daughters on that day a fugitive will come to you to report to you the news on that day your mouth will be open to the fugitive and you shall speak and be no longer mute so you will be assigned to them and they will know that i am the lord there's a lot going on there yeah. Can we talk about Ezekiel's yes. wife? Yes. Um, I just have so many thoughts about it. I, I feel like, I mean, we, we kind of talked about early on how Ezekiel is acting like a, uh, um, I always forget the word, um, What essentially a, the good version of Marina Bromovich, a performance artist. He's acting oh, like a performance yeah. artist in the beginning. Um, you know, he, but, but God's making him do some pretty weird performance art, like cooking yeah. food over dung and chopping his hair off and running around the streets and hitting it with a sword and doing... <laughs> Lots of sleeping on one side, all bound up for like a year and a half. But like, it's not just symbolic, even though everything in in Ezekiel's life, every single thing that happens to him is symbolic. It's not easy. It's actually almost always awful and painful, like literally eating food cooked over dung. And and finally to the point where his wife dies and God's like, this is a symbol Mm -hmm. of what's going to happen to Jerusalem. And it's like, but he's living it, you know? And I guess what it makes me think of as a few things like we see we see these pastors like Joel Osteen that are like if you serve God you'll get money and fame and wealth and all the all the good stuff and it's like well if this is true then everybody's going to serve God mm-hmm. but everybody's going to serve God for all the wrong reasons uh it's one of the many reasons that Joel Osteen and people like him are false prophets mm. but i think what's most fascinating here is that while everybody's being slaughtered and and Again, he's cleansing the pot or whatever you want to, whatever metaphor he's using at the time for what's happening in Jerusalem. Ezekiel is not really spared from suffering, even mm-hmm. though Ezekiel is like the only righteous person. And he's the only one, not the only, him, Jeremiah, there's a couple, but like Ezekiel in this context is the only righteous person. And he's not being spared from grief. He's not being spared from suffering. And I think it's so interesting that God often will show us, like, here's my prophets. Here's the people who love me the most and whom I love the most, and they are going to suffer a lot. <laughs> but I think it's I, I think in that it, it's like only if you're willing to suffer for something you love, do you actually love it? You're not just mm-hmm. there for the big mega church money and things like that, right? So, um, yeah, I, you know, our, our rewards are just not here in this earth. When, when we really do things the right way. And it's that's a hard one. It's so hard to follow God and be like, God, I'm trying to do everything that I can. I'm trying to live my life for you. I want to please you, but I'm mm-hmm. miserable. 
and I'm suffering and life sucks. Um, it's just a hard thing. It's a hard thing. And I don't it even is. know if I have a lot to say about it other than you're not alone in it. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Um, it's just one of those like things that you're, you're promised that you're going to suffer and you're promised rewards after this life. And I think that uh, it's so easy to think that God doesn't love us if he's not rewarding us right now. Yeah, I have. Okay, I have, two, I have two different things to say. And before before I lose the actual passage, mm-hmm. I'm trying to understand why the part about not mourning, like this terrible thing happens and he can't mourn because the symbol is that he can't mourn. And then his wife's a picture of Jerusalem losing their, their city. They're losing everything, basically. Um, and is the idea that they they are so numb at this point from all of their sin that they're not mourning or that their captors aren't allowing them to properly good mourn cuz i don't question. understand would you, read, would you read that passage one more time yeah and just tell um, me what verse it is cuz i was thinking that too okay so oh, god hold on. i've got a little it's 24:17 right yeah, sigh but not aloud. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind on your turban and put on your shoes and your feet. Do not cover your lips or eat the bread of men. Yeah. All of those things that he says, by the way, probably doesn't help, but those are all symbols of mourning, right? They're, they're mm-hmm. lost to time a little bit. Um, <clears throat> like norm, mourners normally remove their turban, put dust on their heads. Mm-hmm. Uh I was trying to see if there's anything that it says about that. Uh, apparently, what this verse is saying is that his wife died the same day that the temple was burned. Mm. Um, so her, she's a symbol of the temple uh, mm. in this context. But yeah, I'm just trying to see if there's like some context here that maybe maybe some insight because it is it's interesting. Here, here's yeah. something. So it says, um, following a series of messages concerning God's judgment on Judah. Ezekiel's actions upon the death of his wife serves to symbolize how the exiles would react to the fall of Jerusalem, just as his earlier symbolic actions symbolize the exile of the people of Jerusalem. These two symbolic acts thus serve as a literary frame around the second series of messages in Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what it is, right? It's what you were saying is like they, they don't even, they don't they even don't have time mourn. to mourn. They're not yeah. mourning. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I guess I'm just unclear are they not mourning because they're not feeling anything or are they not mourning because they're being restricted from mourning? But it kind of seems like they're not mourning because they're not feeling anything. Like at the end of all of this sin and bloodshed, they lose everything and they're just like, eh. Well, I mean, they also don't repent. So maybe that's yeah. what it's a symbol of. Kind of Because to mourn would be like, oh, I lost things and I have to rethink. Mm. Uh yeah. Why? And I have like to someone like, be who's like, lost oh, everything. it's like a wake up call and they're just not waking up. Yeah. Like it's like you hit rock bottom, but you haven't admitted that you're anywhere bad because you do right. not want to admit that you're, you're a sin. Okay. Yeah. So that's the piece of the passage. I wanted to bring this up because I tweeted about this the other day and I felt like I, I came to a realization that I should have probably come to a long time ago. And there's, there's a way I could, you guys could take this wrong, but it, I, I don't care. Um, okay. So I tweeted, My struggle with faith has never been about whether God exists or about what he's capable of doing. It's always been about whether or not he gives a shit about me. Um, And then just a regular Christian lady, nice Christian lady, she responded, start praying, then you will see just how much he loves you. And I 
hate this type of response from Christians where you say, hey, I am struggling. And they're like, just pray. Right. Um, yeah, I agree Especially with that. when you, especially when you express like, I've been suffering a long time. I've been depressed or whatever it is for a long mm-hmm. time. My experience in life has been bad. And their answer is, well, if you were just a better Christian, you would, that wouldn't be the case. You wouldn't be suffering. And this is, this is what is put out by the church constantly. Any church, like I did not go to a Joel Osteen church, but it was still baked into just the regular Baptist churches that I grew up in. The idea that the specials, the people God prefers are the people who get money and they get blessings and they get everything that they want. The people who pray enough and believe God enough, they get all the good things. And then the people God doesn't like as much, they're the ones who, they're the ones who suffer. This is what Job's friend said to him too. Exactly. Yeah, it it's goes exactly all the way back Job. to Job. Because it's human. It's it's yeah. it's how it's how people have always acted when people have things that are generally going well for them and you're not uh and you cl- and again, you're both Christians, you're both following God, they're like, "Well, you must be doing it wrong." You know, and it's like mm-hmm. I'm not saying when you suffer, it's always cuz you're doing something right either, but it can definitely be a sign of doing the right thing because we are going to suffer for mm-hmm. I mean, like at its at, at its most visceral, it's Christ on the cross, right? It's why is he being mm-hmm. crucified? Does he not believe in God enough? You know what I mean? It's like one of those things. Like Christ, Christ was not spared mm-hmm. suffering. Christ came to mm-hmm. suffer. One of the only promises we have in the New Testament. You know, we've got a lot of things. It's like uh, this. This can you know believe, have faith. These things, whatever. But like. The one thing you're promised um, amongst all that, and everybody wants to forget this one, is you're promised that you're going to suffer for his name, that people hate mm-hmm. you because they hated me first, right? So, yeah, I, I, we're uniquely in that same way. We, we've talked about this a lot, but, like, my struggle has never been belief in God. I've witnessed too many things in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have the ability. I don't have – some people have that struggle. I don't have the ability to not believe. Right. I don't have the option. It's like once you know things and you've seen things, you can no longer not – it's not an option. So then the question has to become, does God love me? Um, does he care? Am I Esau? Or, or, you know, like all of those things seep in. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I agree with you. I can't stand. Praying's great. I'm not saying don't pray. I'm not saying it's not helpful. I'm not saying it wouldn't be helpful in your situation. But it's not the, the answer that people give is just, just pray more. Mm-hmm. And, and they don't want to sit down next to you and suffer alongside of you. And sometimes that's all yeah. people want. I've said this forever, but it's like there's people who are like, I don't know how to talk to you about certain things because I haven't lived the, the life that you've lived. And you, you're same with you in Africa. Mm-hmm. But I bet if somebody sat down next to you and shared a beer with you or shared a cigar with you and said nothing, it would mean more than, well, I care. Uh, uh, I have to have something to say. I can relate. No, you can't. Just Just sit down next to me and let me know that you care. Yeah. And that sometimes is the most Christian thing you can do is sit next to somebody and say nothing but just being there for somebody instead of what what phrase can I pull what Bible verse can I throw at you what um you know I don't know f- useless piece of advice can I give you it's like sometimes mm-hmm. I don't need that I don't need to yeah. be told to pray I am praying I, yeah. I've read Psalms and Psalms is a lot of praying and Psalms is praying, God, why do you hate me? And God is wonderful. And God, yes. why are you letting me suffer? And God, I love you and you're wonderful. It's almost schizophrenic because that is the faith life is almost schizophrenic. It's got higher highs. It's got lower mm-hmm. lows. 
And praying sometimes is yelling at God. Praying sometimes is struggling with God. Jacob literally wrestled with Jesus and Jesus broke his hip. Like that's the type of like imagery that Christians have lost is that faith struggle that like sometimes it's like violent and angry. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, it's funny what you said about, about alcohol and cigars because coming out of like a dry community that would never have smoked ever (laughs) to wake up and find that people are the most honest and real with me when we're smoking and drinking was amazing. I'm like, Oh, these, these sins that this group of people who, who say they have the answers and they say they have the compassion of God and all of this stuff, but I have never felt more compassion than from somebody who got drunk next to me or smoked a cigar next to me and like actually took the mask off for five seconds. Yeah. And that's sad. Like we shouldn't need to get drunk to be honest. That's not, you know, I hear what you're saying, but we shouldn't need that, but. But yeah, it's um, it's definitely something that I've found the more that I walk around without a mask on, a lot of people will still wear theirs, but I get to meet a lot of people who are willing to take theirs off for me. Um, and that's that's been really cool. But um, the kind of the realization I came to, because from that tweet, Kyle Mann commented on it a little later on. Um, and he was like, actually, Job and David both felt the way that you felt. And he posted some some verses. And I was like, this is the freaking Christian response, right? This is this is what should be the Christian response. Um, it's not hard. You just have to have to have any experience of life. And and I, because I was I was struggling of like I believe that lady who commented that her life experience with God was such that that is the answer for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that can make I'm like. Why has my experience with God and with church and with all of it been so difficult? But it seems like we've got it completely backwards. Um, and this is the part I don't want to be misinterpreted on. Um, oh, yeah. There's, that, so, there's so many great things in the chat. I love what you guys are saying. Go oh, ahead, yeah. Um, that we... The error is to think that the specials, the ones that are chosen of God to do great things, are the uber-blessed ones who have everything they want all the time. Generally speaking in the Bible, the specials are the ones who suffer the absolute most. Yeah. Right? And I'm not saying I'm a special because I've suffered a lot, but it's a good reminder of like, I am not... Because the tendency is, is to like, what is wrong with me? Because God has just never blessed me the way he's blessed everybody around me. Mm-hmm. Like, what the, what the fuck? Um, have, I not, have I not prayed enough? Have I not read my Bible enough? Have I not followed the law enough? All of this stuff. And that's just literally what Job says to his friends. He's like, I have been a pretty darn good Christian, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm suffering, so shut the fuck up, is what Job is. So, yeah, just that reminder of like, if you if you actually do want God to use you and and choose you in, in big ways, that's not going to mean the 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 piles of of blessings that I think church yeah. would have us believe. Yeah. The, again, there's so many good things in the chat. I saw something about uh, the the ministry of presence. Um, the mm-hmm. the idea that too blessed distressed is, is put put to death by psalms and lamentations and things like mm-hmm. that and the nana c says uh, one of the most helpful things i learned from seminary is that 
if we are not honestly expressing our anger at God, we are not upholding our end of the covenant mm. with him. That's powerful. That yeah. was a huge thing for me to learn that I'm allowed to yell at God and be angry. Mm-hmm. Um, well, think about this. You have a husband. He's a big, strong dude, strapping yeah. dude. Yeah. And I guarantee that when you are upset, there are times where John has let you scream and yell at him because he knows you need to. Because mm-hmm. that's what every spouse, and I don't mean to use your spouse as a punching bag. Don't take me the wrong way. But every time, sometimes people just need to shout and yell and be mm-hmm. angry and get mm-hmm. it out of their system. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a parent, you've definitely done that with your children. Uh, and, and God is a father. So mm-hmm. I keep saying, like, think of, think of God as a father because he tells you he is, and it'll yeah. start to make more sense. Yeah. Um, caffeinated conversations. Oh, this is Dennis, right? Um, the irony that the voice says, do the right thing and God will bless you, is the voice of Satan in Job. Yeah, Ooh. this this idea that, like, follow the law and you'll have everything you ever wanted. It, it, when we talk about how there are, there are two religions— there are only two religions in the entire world. There's the one where God sacrifices himself for us to take care of our sin because he loves us. And then the one where we do all the right things, make all the right sacrifices to appease the gods. That, think about think about that, too, because yeah. what you just said is because you were talking about how Christians will do it wrong, too, and they think they're doing it for God. How often have Christians been like, I'm too busy with this very important Christian thing that I've got to do to care about my neighbor, to care about my wife, to care mm-hmm. about my kids. I've, I mean, even the Bible tells us like, if, you're, if your money was to go for tithing and your family member is in need, mm-hmm. you take care of the family member first. But too often we think we're doing <sighs> the right thing by having all of the, checking all of the Christian boxes and we're not loving people. We're not the caring of- for the people that are in our direct vicinity. And I'll sound like Jordan Peterson again with the whole clean your room idea. Take care of your family. Yeah. Take care of the things that are right in your... You don't have to travel to Africa or Haiti or some other foreign country to do ministry. You should be doing it where you live. Yeah. Not to say that those things aren't good. I'm just saying like too often we think that's when I'll be a Christian and do the Christian things and care for people and build a house and feed a hungry person instead of like yeah. your own... Yeah, it's it's um, the amount of times that my needs were neglected in the name of Jesus was uh, insane. And there's a reason why the cliche of like naughty pastors kids exists, because so many pastors sacrifice their children to Jesus and and think that that's what Jesus wants. But that is the wrong religion. Right. And, and, and this idea that if I just, if I just follow the law, I will, I will get good things. If I just make the right sacrifices, I will get good things. That is the wrong religion. Mm -hmm. Kelsey asked a question and I'm just going to say that I want to come back to it at some future date because I am not the expert on tithing, but uh, you said, I have a question about tithing. Does taking care of your neighbors and family count as tithing? I think that if there's someone in need that you are supposed to help, it's more important than giving to the church. The church, yeah. I, I, that's sometimes tithe, Sometimes the people you need to help are in the church. I get that. Yeah. Like I, I'm not anti-tithing in any way, but I think it's very clear that if if your sister can't afford her car payment, is going to get her car repossessed, and you have three hundred dollars you put in the church plate instead of helping your sister through through that time, or needs yeah, food bullshit. or something like baby yeah. formula, whatever. Use discernment. Pray about it. But what I'm saying is, I think you'd be wrong to go. This is actually how Jesus wants me to use the money. Not the way that's like being asked of me. Right. Um, 
I don't know, like giving is such an important part of my life. Um, a, another pastor friend of mine told me that whenever somebody would ask him for something and he had the ability to do it, he would give them more than they asked for every time. Um, so generally speaking, if someone's in trouble and they ask me for help, I will try to give them more than they asked for. Right. Uh, because it's so hard to ask for things that you need. I, I'm stubborn. I don't, I don't mm -hmm. it's hard for me to ask for my needs to be met. Um, and that's how a lot of people are. And we can all tell the ones who are taking advantage of you. And that's not who, the, who I'm right. talking about. But someone in generally in need asks for it. They're probably asking for less than they need. And you can bless them by, by going above and beyond. I think that's the most Christian thing you can do. But right. anyway. I, I think that the, that the preaching on tithing would yeah. be so much better if churches weren't financially incentivized to preach on it in a certain way. Yes. Because that conflict of interest is obvious <laughs> there's a lot of church intense. politics that i'm very uh upset about we're, not, we're acting more like uh business a lot of churches are acting more like businesses than like a body of christ yeah honestly but. i think churches should operate the same way we are yeah they have bills they need to pay they should have services they offer only to people who pay the monthly subscription and then, you think so? <laughs> I mean, if, if that's how you're going to operate, like, just be honest that that's how you're operating, right? Yeah. Like, if you're going to offer a whole bunch of, like, frills that are not necessary for being a church, then then have a subscription service for your, <laughs> for your coffee. Like, I'm not actually suggesting that churches should have subscription services, but I think that they should be honest that, like, they're trying to do a model. They're operating as businesses while, while using... Old Testament commandments to the Jewish people for specific reasons for tithing um, and leveraging their spiritual control over you to guilt you into giving them money for things that they don't even need. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, I, I could get, I could get real distracted talking about tithing and I might be wrong, but I, I try to be generous and there are, there are things that I give to, but I haven't really properly gone to a church and definitely haven't tied to a church for a very long time. Um, and I don't feel any type of guilty about that. So God can work on that with me if he needs to. Yep. But yeah, it did. Once I started working for a church, I was like, oh yeah, I'm never giving my money to any of these places again. <laughs> Once I saw like how things actually were. Yeah. Someone brought up scam charities. Charities is the hardest thing. Uh, yeah. You have to do a lot of research. I, I, there's so many charities I will not give my money to cause they are not charities. But uh, I always tell people do a lot of research before you give money to things. I was just telling people about the world wildlife foundation this week where they're like, Oh, I've been given that forever. I'm like, it's a eugenics program, but nobody mm -hmm. does the research March of mm -hmm. dimes. To, you know, it's, a money-making business that doesn't actually give to charity. You might as well give to the Clinton Foundation with mm -hmm. a lot of these, you know? So well, I want to leave... We shouldn't yeah. have to worry about churches being like that, but I totally understand the fear of it because I've been behind the scene of a lot of it too, and it's a it's a worry of mine. And I think we have to have a more honest... Uh, we have to have more honest churches if we want to have tithing mean what they want it to mean, be as important as it should be. Yeah. It's... I want to like, let me just leave anyone who's confused with this because I don't think that there's like a really clear, obvious answer and people are going to disagree about um, whether or not the, the Bible even says 
that we are we as non-Jews in not old Israel are are under the old law are even required to tithe. But what does seem clear is that generosity is a thing that we are commanded to do. So I think as long as you are obviously remain open to God and what he's calling you to, if God is calling you to give a tenth of your income, which is what a tithe is, to your church, listen to God, not not me. But right. as long as you are being generous, um giving where God is leading you to give, I don't think you're going to displease him. And I don't think you got to worry or be hung up on the tithe concept unless he tells you to. I know there are people who, and they tend to be richer people, who were very, very much convicted by God to give a tenth of their income, to give the, the, the strict tithe, and in fact more. And, um, and I would never tell them that that's not what God told them to do. <laughs> so anyway. Yep. All right. Let's go through 25. Uh, okay. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face against the Ammonites and prophesy against them. Say to the Ammonites, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, because you said, aha, over my sanctuary when it was profaned and over the land of Israel, when it was made desolate and over the house of Judah, when they went into exile, therefore, behold, I am handing you over to the people of the east for a possession and they shall set their encampments among you and make their dwellings in your midst. They shall eat your fruit and they shall drink your milk. I will make Rabbah a pasture for camels and Ammon a fold for flocks. Then you will know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, because you have clapped your hands and stamped your feet and rejoiced with all the malice within your soul against the land of Israel. Therefore, behold, I have stretched up my hand against you and will hand you over as plunder to the nations. And I will cut off from the peoples. I will cut you off from the peoples and will make you perish out of the countries. I will destroy you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because Moab and Seir said, Behold, the house of Judah is like all the other nations. Therefore, I will lay open the flank of Moab from the cities, from its cities on its frontier, the glory of the country, Beth Jeshemoth, Balmion, and Kirathaim. I will give it along with the Ammonites to the people of the east as a possession, that the Ammonites may be remembered no more among the nations, and I will execute judgments upon Moab. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because Edom acted revengefully against the house of Judah and has grievously offended in taking vengeance on them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against Edom and cut off from it man and beast. And I will make it desolate from Teman even to Dedan. They shall fall by the sword. And I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel. And they shall do an Edom according to my anger and according to my wrath. And they shall know my vengeance declares the Lord God. This thus, is, this is interesting to me. I just have to pause. Yeah. So what's going on in 25 is we've heard, a lot, a lot, a lot of God saying, you are my people, uh, Jerusalem, you're my people, Israel, and you have acted a whore, you have gone astray, mm. you've brought this death, uh, death upon yourself, and I'm holding you to a higher standard. And he says to Ezekiel in the beginning of Ezekiel, I'm holding you to the highest standard because you're my prophet. And I hold Israel to a higher standard, but he's not not judging the other nations. Mm -hmm. And this... This is such an interesting point in the things that we talk about often and about uh, whether it comes to conservatism or America or Christianity versus other religions. 
And people get hung up on this idea that all you're supposed to do is judge everybody else and kind of look the other way with your own thing yeah. a lot. And that if you do decide to focus inward and clean up your own house and take care of your own people and make sure that you are living to the higher standard that you're calling other people to live to, if the right, if the if we, if we want to call the left, you know, uh, depraved and child murderers mm-hmm. and all the things that they are, and then we go, well, you know, I mean... We can be not as bad and then still you got to hold yourself to the higher standards, my point. Yeah. And I just find this interesting because it's not an either or in, in Ezekiel, which is mostly about Jerusalem and, and looking inward and, and, and holding your own people to high account. It does not spare the other nations who are obviously worse, mm-hmm. right, in so many ways, but they're not held to the same standard for the exact reasons that we wouldn't hold someone to the same standard outside of the church as we do when they're inside of the church. Right. And, 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 and all the other things. I just I find that so interesting. It's like there's a lot of false dichotomies when it mm-hmm. comes to judgment, when it comes to uh, rhetoric, whatever. And I just it, we've said this a lot, but like the whole I, I can't think of his name, Breitbart, Andrew Breitbart's golden rule has been taken into its worst possible thing where it's like don't don't attack people on your own side is the golden rule of Andrew Breitbart essentially and now it's like oh if people on our own side are on Epstein's plane even let's not look that way let's ex- let's excuse every worst excess of our own people mm-hmm. uh, because the other side is so bad it doesn't matter that we're corrupt <laughs> if we don't cut out the corruption we're going to become as corrupt and worse um I don't know I just I feel like pointing it out because it's it's a false dichotomy to say that we can't judge ourselves and hold ourselves to a high account and still point out that the, that, uh, you know, if I say bad things about America, it's not, I hate America. And I think that every other country in the world is better. I don't think any other country in the world is better than ours. That's why i care so much about us getting it right. Yeah. Um, I don't think that the left is better than the right. I don't, I don't think they're equal. I don't morally. I don't, but I'm going to be harsh on the right because I want us to be moral. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think any religion is better than Christianity. That's stupid. I want the Christians to be moral. Yes. <laughs> it's it's not yeah. hard, it's not a difficult thing. It's um Matthew 7 1 is this is this famous verse about judge not that you be not judged. So it goes, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not, do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What, what I think people miss here is that in no way is God saying ignore the speck in your brother's eye because you're not allowed to judge. Right, but people take it that way, and it's always driven me nuts that people don't understand the verse. Yeah, it's you're going to be judged by the the measure you use. Mm -hmm. So hold yourself to that standard. Make sure there are no logs in your own eye, and then you can see clearly to point out what's going on with the people around you. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, because um, if you don't have anything in your eye and your brother has something in his eye um, and you can see it clearly, you'd be kind of a dick to not say anything about it. Right. Try to help him with it. Right. In yep. the name of not judging him. 
Okay. Uh, thus says the Lord God, because the Philistines acted revengefully and took vengeance with malice of soul to destroy in never ending enmity. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will stretch out my hand against the Philistines and I will cut off the Cherethites and destroy the rest of the seacoast. I will execute great vengeance on them with wrathful rebukes. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. So for all of these cities uh, or peoples, Ammon, Moab, Seir, Edom, and Philistia, um, we just went through what Israel did, right? We, we just mm-hmm. went through why Jesus was judging Samaria and Jerusalem specifically and all the awful, awful stuff they did. And then this whole chapter is like, and because you guys were pleased when bad things happened to the Jews, I'm going to judge you too. <laughs> like he's not even saying that they did all this sin. He's yeah. just saying you were jerks to Israel. So I'm, I'm going to also judge you. Yeah. This is, I think this is what all like the Jew haters miss where they're like, well, God was really harsh on the Jews. Like, yeah, but that's between him and them because whenever somebody else tries to like get real excited and vengeful against the Jewish people um, and try to join in that, he smacks them right down. Yep. Um, Did we talk about the prophecy of Tyre on our Atlantis episode? We did. We got, we, we're to it. Yeah. We are to it. I find this interesting because we have brought this up before in the show. Yes. Okay. Let's get into it. Okay. Um, There's a couple different chapters of it, so I don't know when exactly we're going to get. Well, we're going to read it all. So. Okay. Cool. Prophecy against Tyre. In the 11th year, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, because Tyre said concerning Jerusalem. Aha. (laughs) (laughs) Aha. I like the language. Yeah. yeah. Aha. Aha. The gate of the peoples is broken. It has swung open to me. I shall be replenished now that she is laid waste. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and will bring up many nations against you as the sea brings up its waves. They shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers, and I will scrape her soil from her and make her a bare rock. She shall be in the midst of the sea, a place for the spreading of nets, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God, and she shall become plunder for the nations, and her daughters on the mainland shall be killed by the sword. Then they will know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses and chariots, and with horsemen and a host of many soldiers. He will kill with the sword your daughters on the mainland. He will set up a siege wall against you and throw up a mound against you and raise a roof of shields against you. He will direct the shock of his battering rams against your walls, and with his axes he will break down your towers. His horses will be so many that their dust will cover you. Your walls will shake at the noise of the horsemen and wagons and chariots when he enters your gates as men enter a city that has been breached. With the hoofs of his horses he will trample all your streets. He will kill your people with a sword, and your mighty pillars will fall to the ground. They will plunder your riches and loot your merchandise. They will break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses. Your stones and timber and soil they will cast into the midst of the waters, and I will stop the music of your songs, and the sound of your lyre shall be heard no more. I will make you a bare rock. You shall be a place for the spreading of nets. You shall never be rebuilt, for I am the Lord. I have spoken, declares the Lord God. This happened. This yeah. happened. Tyre exists as a city, but it was it's, it's in a different place, and then it was named the same thing. But the actual place where Tyre used to be is a bare rock where people spread their nets, where fishermen yep. spread their nets. There's a lot. There's a there's a couple of examples of this in the Bible where it's like God says you will never be a thing again, and they never have. Yeah, yeah. 
Thus says the Lord God to Tyre, Will not the coastlands shake at the sound of your fall? When the wounded groan, when slaughter is made in your midst, then all the princes of the sea will step down from their thrones and remove their robes and strip off their embroidered garments. They will clothe themselves with trembling. They will sit on the ground and tremble every moment and be appalled at you. And they will raise a lamentation over you and say to you, How you have perished. You you who were inhabited from the seas... O city renowned, who was mighty on the sea, she and her inhabitants imposed their terror on all her inhabitants. Now the coastlands tremble on the day of your fall, and the coastlands that are on the sea are dismayed at your passing. It's interesting that like this is this was such a mighty city that everyone's super freaked out when when she falls. Mm-hmm. For thus says the Lord God, when I make you a city laid waste, like the cities that are not inhabited, when I bring up the deep over you and the great waters cover you, then I will make you go down with those who go down to the pit to the people of old. And I will make you to dwell in the world below among ruins from of old with those who go down to the pit so that you will not be inhabited. But I will set beauty in the land of the living. I will bring you to a dreadful end and you shall be no more. Though you be sought for, you will never be found again, declares the Lord God. Um, this part, I think, is referencing Atlantis. That's what I was wondering, because I was trying to remember what you had said in our episode. Um, there's a couple different parts in the passage that I think... It, it feels it like he's about, talking like, about... Ruins of old, like, uh, what does it say? Mm-hmm. You will dwell below... Or you, uh, I will make you dwell in the world below among ruins from the old. Mm-hmm. Because um, this part about bringing the deep up over you and the great waters covering you... It, that's not what happened to Tyre. He's been so specific up to now about what exactly happened to Tyre. Mm-hmm. And then this feels like he's he's saying, look, I'm destroying you like this other city that we all remember. Ah, yes, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, will you read 19 to 21 again and just think about Atlantis? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, so it says, for thus the Lord God... Or for thus says the Lord God, when I make you a city laid waste, like the cities that are not inhabited, when I bring up the deep over you and the great waters cover you, then I will make you go down with those who go down to the pit. To the people of old, I will make you dwell in the world below among ruins from old. For those who go down to the pit, so that you will not be inhabited, but I will set beauty in the land of the living. I will bring you to a dreadful end and you shall be no more. Though you, though you will be sought for, you will never be found again declares the Lord God. Yeah. Sought right? for and never found again. That whole that whole set of verses seems to be about Atlantis. It and does seem to be referencing, ta- again, like you said, it's referencing something that people at the time understood. And understood. Knew. Yeah. He's talking to Tyre, but this last little bit seems to be very metaphorical and very much like, I am treating you exactly the way I treated Atlantis. Yeah. Um, and I nope. think that later verses kind of ex- go into explaining more why they might have been treated the same way as Atlantis. Yeah. And what's so interesting about this, right, is like with Atlantis, uh, the, the tales that, um, oh, I can't remember his name right now, <laughs> that wrote about Atlantis. Why well, can't I think of his name? Plato. Oh, that Plato, Plato yeah. uh, wrote about, he got from Egypt, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then we've got, you know, Jimmy Corsetti talking about it being possibly on the Western part of of Africa and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. like this is that region around Egypt. So if, if Plato is hearing about Tyre or mm-hmm. sorry about Atlantis from Egypt, it's not that crazy to think that the people that had come out of Egypt, mm-hmm. the Jerusalem, or the Israel and Jerusalem would and, and these places would, would know about Atlantis and heard it. So like when it said 
like you're like you're saying, like your theory, and I think you're right in this, when it's saying, hey, Tyre, you're going to be destroyed. Your, your city's not going to be inhabited. You're going to be just like this one place you've all heard of that mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't exist. People are seeking it. They'll never find it. it I, I think yeah. it, I think it's a reference to Atlantis. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think any Bible will have that in the, the cliff notes no. part of the bottom. So it's not worth looking, but uh, it's interesting. No, it's, it's funny where I, where I start with some of these things is like, if this thing was real, you'd think the Bible would mention it. Like Atlantis mm-hmm. was such a big deal in the ancient world. If it was real, you would think it would be in the Bible somewhere. And then I stumbled upon this and I was like, oh, no, it is. It's right here. <laughs> it's so it's so interesting. I've had the the whole idea of lost civilizations on my mind a lot this week because I was listening to this woman talk about uh, Gilgamesh. Mm. And I've specifically been listening to these ideas about the Internet and how everything's on the Internet and the Internet's actually going away. You know, it's been on my mind a lot since the world mm-hmm. uh, leave the world behind. And then I saw these videos of people that are like, this is a, a, a bookshelf from 50 years ago. It's been left sitting. And he went to pick up the books and they turned to dust. Mm-hmm. And, we, and it's like, what do we have left of the ancient world? What do we have left of things that might actually most likely have existed long before we are told they were built? Yeah. The pyramids yeah. and things like that, right? They're stone. And it's just so interesting to think like how quickly everything go away. How there's evidence of computer yeah. technology from Egypt with, with the vases. And there's evidence of all kinds of things, but the only thing we have are these giant stone buildings. And it's crazy to think like, yeah, we, we get an idea of Egypt thousands of years ago. And the, the only difference in our heads and in the pictures is the, the pyramids were shiny and had a golden cap. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but that's the way like, the stone is going to survive anything. Like what, uh, what, like everything else could have been washed away, like cars, streets, books, computers, aircraft, like everything you can imagine could have been washed mm-hmm. away pre-flood. Like we have no idea how much humanity what actually had, advanced yeah. from Adam to Noah. We just don't have a clue. All but the, but all basing it on numbers, basing it on like how people lived, how many kids that they supposedly had and all that stuff, the best estimates are like in the billions, like literally billions of people between Adam yeah. to Noah. That's a civilization. That's enough time for them to have advanced beyond where yeah. we're at today. Well, and who, how, how could we know that they didn't? Nothing would be left. The other thing that's... Stone. We, we are a civilization that has advanced. If you think about it, each of our lifespans is like 80 years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is just as far as averages go. And we have to spend the first 20 of those years learning from the generation before us. Right. Um, and then we only get... And then we have to get practical knowledge for the next 10 years before we're even useful yeah. in like so many fields. So it's like we, we had to spend 30 years just getting to be a master of the, the knowledge that is already there before we can even begin to progress. And do new things. Right, yeah. But Noah's father who's the oldest man mm-hmm. Noah's grandfather Noah's father Lamech Methuselah Methuselah was his grandfather okay Noah's grandfather lived almost a thousand years yep so picture he was the oldest man ever in the Bible yeah exactly Noah's grandfather. Yeah. exactly um when you have a society of people who are living that long 500 to a thousand years they could advance like how could they not? How could they not? That's my point. That's my point. I've believed level. for so long, and I just keep coming to new and new and newer information. I'm like, the world before the flood of Noah was probably way more advanced than we are. I mean, it probably literally was. And again, like, 
everything that we have today we think is going to last. But like someone said it. I was watching a movie yesterday, a clip from a movie. And the guy said, when we were kids, we had photo albums. We had pictures. And now we take 10 million times more pictures, but they're just digital code. They're, they're, they're just digital dust. Like, it's all gone. Like, no future generation will be able to look back at us and know anything about our lives because nothing about our lives is recorded in a physical medium that will mm-hmm. last. Yeah. Everything that you and me have done could be wiped away and no one would ever have known our existence, our culture, mm-hmm. anything. And what would be left with some weird stone crap. Have you seen the weird stone crap that they put at college campuses now? People would be mm-hmm. like puzzling over it, thinking like we're just a bunch of stone builders and goat what herders 10,000 years from now. But <laughs> again, like we have evidence of computer aided drafting yeah. in Egypt. So my point is like all of it could have been washed away. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was personally. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's just fascinating stuff. All right, more about Tyre. There's two mm-hmm. more chapters about Tyre. Let's do it. Um, okay. The word of the Lord came to me. Now you, son of man, raise a lamentation over Tyre and say to Tyre who dwells at the entrance to, entrances to the sea, merchant of the peoples to many coastlands. Thus says the Lord God. O Tyre, you have said, I am perfect in beauty. Your borders are in the heart of the seas. Your builders made perfect your beauty. They made all your planks of fir trees from Sinir. They took a cedar from Lebanon to make a mast for you of oaks of Bashan. They made your oars. They made your deck of pines from the coast of Cyprus inlaid with ivory of fine embroidered linen from Egypt was your sail. Serving as your banner, blue and purple from the coasts of... Elisha was your awning. The inhabitants of Sidon and Arvad were your rowers. Your skilled men, O Tyre, were in you. They were your pilots. The elders of Gebel and her skilled men were in you, caulking your seams. All the ships of the sea with their mariners were in you to barter for your wares. I would like to know, this is just pure conjecture, mm-hmm. but if Tyre styled themselves as the New Atlantis... If Which that was the like. conceit that they had about themselves, it makes sense that all this Atlantis imagery, if if they basically, Tyre had the spirit of Atlantis, um, which I think I can continue to make this case, that they, they mm-hmm. are worshiping the spirit of the thing, they're emulating the spirit of the thing, that God would talk to them as if they are a continuation of Atlantis. Well, I mean, it's just like America today. We talk about it as a continuation of Rome in so many ways. Yes, I mean, exactly is it the same like that. fallen angel that's, you know, <laughs> guarding I, well, You know what I mean? Yeah. It's Not so even just clear. fallen angel, but like we, we have all this example of like angels over cities and countries mm-hmm. and churches and things like that. Like, is, is it the same spirit, it good same or bad, spirit? that's over America, that was over Rome, that's over Tyre, that was over Atlantis? Well, it seems pretty clear that, well, Atlantis was specifically... Um, the lore was that their kings were half. They were Nephilim. God. They were Nephilim of yeah. Poseidon. Yes. Like they didn't just worship Poseidon. They were. They of were literally Poseidon's descendants blood. of Poseidon. Yeah. Um, and they the were Bible Percy gonna, Jackson. They were Percy. It, it <laughs> seems that Poseidon that that Tyre was also very clearly worshiping Poseidon, um, and we'll get further into this as these passages go on. Mm-hmm. So yes, y- yes to they're worshiping the same fallen fallen angel for sure um persia and lud and put were in your army as your men of war they hung the shield and helmet in you they gave you splendor men of arvad and helic were on your walls all around the men of gamad were in your towers they hung their shields on your walls all around they made perfect your beauty 
Tarshish did business with you because of your great wealth of every kind, silver, iron, tin, and lead, they exchanged for your wares. Javan, Tubal, and Meshach traded with you. They exchanged human beings and vessels of bronze for your merchandise. Every time we see a civilization that worships Poseidon, we see slave trade. Epstein it's, as it's well. Yeah. 100%. Um, it's <clears throat> always. It's always the slave trade on the high seas. Yep. Um, human beings and vessels of bronze for your merchandise. From Beth. To- oh, wait. What, what, I got lost. What uh, verse are you on? That was 13. So 14. From Beth to Gorma, they exchanged horses, war horses, and mules for your wares. The men of Dedan traded with you. Many coastlands were your own special markets. They brought you in payment ivory tusks and ebony. Syria did business with you because of your abundant goods. They exchanged for your wares emeralds, purple, embroidered work, fine linen, coral, and ruby. Judah and the land of Israel traded with you. They exchanged for your merchandise wheat of minneth, meal, honey, oil, and balm. Damascus did business with you for your abundant goods because of your great wealth of every kind. Wine of Helban and wool of Sahar. The casks of wine from Uzal they exchanged for your wares. Raw iron, cassia, and calamus were bartered for your merchandise. Dedan traded with you in saddlecloths for riding. Arabia and all the princes of Kedar were your favorite dealers in lambs, rams, and goats. In these they did business with you. The traders of Sheba and Rama traded with you. They exchanged for your wares the best of all kinds of spices and all precious stones and gold. Haran, Kenna, Eden, traders of Sheba, Asher, and Shilma traded with you. In your market, these traded with you in choice garments, in clothes of blue and embroidered work, and in carpets of colored material bound with cords and made secure. The ships of Tarshish traveled for you with your merchandise, so you were filled and heavy laden in the heart of the seas. (laughs) You have to have read what Plato said about Atlantis. Yep. But there's so much echo here. And there's nothing in the Bible by accident. And this whole long list of like, these are the people who traded you with you for these things feels really pointless. Like, okay, it's this, why do we have to have a whole catalog of trade happening in Tyre? But this is exactly how, exactly how Plato talked about Atlantis and all the trade and all, all of the riches that were going back and forth between Atlantis and other areas. Um, And this, this, Heart of the Seas line is going to keep coming up, but it's, but Tyre's not in the heart of the seas. Tyre's on the coast. Tyre's, Tyre's not out there in the middle of the ocean, the way that Atlantis was described as being. Right. They're, 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 they're a, they're a port town. And so you, you just, it's like, there's this, you're talking to Tyre, but you're not talking to Tyre and you're, you're talking about Tyre, but you're not talking about Tyre. And it just feels like you're talking about this city that's been around for forever and ever. Um, because the Bible, the Bible is uh, very self refer is very referential, right? It'll use yeah. a lot of examples. It's a lot of parables and things like that. So like, I think your, I think your case is, is correct here that mm-hmm. like all of this imagery is known to the people of the time. And this imagery is imagery of Atlantis. Of and Atlantis, it, and it yeah. was known of people at the time. Like, we know that yes. much, whether whether it's true or not true. Um, right. Even though it's obviously true the way that Plato wrote about it. I believe it is. I mean, that, that's for you to be yeah. convinced by. Um, but when the Bible talks about it as if it's true, I'm that much more convinced that it is. Yes, I think yeah. so. But it's not going to be found again. No. Because it already said that. <laughs> yep. It's in Ohio. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think... 
No, not that I don't think we could maybe locate kind of whereabouts it is. Like I, I, I'm, I find the eye of the Sahara. I agree. Thing yeah. very compelling, but it's not there anymore. Right. Like you're not finding Atlantis anywhere there. It's it's gone. Well, even if they think that it is, which I I understand the arguments are very mm-hmm. compelling, convincing. There's nothing there to prove proving it. it. Yeah. Like the, nothing of it's left except rings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. We're on 26. So you are, yeah. So you're filled and heavily laden in the heart of the seas. Your rowers have brought you out into the high seas. The east wind has wrecked you in the heart of the seas. Like, again, that's not where Tyre is located. Mm. Unless you're talking about a city that's had a, a, a long continuation in different places. Your riches, your wares, your merchandise, your manners, and your pilots, your caulkers, your dealers, and merchandise, and all your men of war who are in you, with all your crew that is in your midst, sink. Into the heart of the seas Mm -hmm. on the day of your fall. That concept of a city sinking into the ocean is a hundred percent Atlantis. It's not about anything else. There's not a single other city. And again, what other example would you use for a city that is modeling itself after Atlantis, Mm -hmm. worshiping the same gods? They're going to understand the reference. They're going to understand when Ezekiel comes to prophesy to Tyre or or sends a letter, however this Mm -hmm. is done. They're going to read this and go, you're talking about Atlantis. And you're saying that God is going to treat us like Atlantis. And we're going to sink to the bottom of the sea Mm -hmm. and be forgotten. And they were. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I do think that is the reference that Ezekiel is Pointing yeah. to, it's sure. going to keep getting hammered as we go along too. Mm-hmm. Um, at the sound of the cry of your, pi- it's like just in case you don't know this is about Atlantis, <laughs> we're just going to keep making it clearer and clearer. Well, that's how Ezekiel works, though, he right? How he he's is, going like, like if, did you get it? Did you get, did you get it? the symbolism? <laughs> it's almost like watching Leave the World Behind. Did you it get the symbolism? Really did you get it? Plebeian. Let, let me tell you again. <laughs> At the sound of the cry of your pilots, the countryside shakes, and down from their ships come all who handle the oh, oar. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. The, the reason, I find this funny because we've talked about, like, why it's so repetitive mm-hmm. at times. But sometimes I think it is because certain cultures and certain people throughout history are going to understand certain references. Yes. And then they're going to go, oh, it's repetitive. But they only know it's repetitive because the one the one reference they got sounds like the other references. So like, right. sometimes I think the Bible is so overt in that way because it makes it last. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because, again, I was bringing up this this earlier. I was talking about uh, a woman who was talking about Gilgamesh. And in Gilgamesh, there's this story about these two serpent gods, uh, scorpion serpent gods that are standing outside of the mountain. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear reading Gilgamesh that everybody in a, in Mesopotamia understood the reference. And not, no one alive today gets it. They're mm-hmm. like, okay, like you didn't tell us enough about these things to, to understand what you're talking about. But... You said it in a way like, you know, like those guys that everybody's heard of. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but yeah. no other no other works from that time has survived. So we have no way of knowing no what this means. Yeah. And here we have we have like, just in case you don't get this part of the reference, here's this <clears throat> part of the reference and this part of the reference. Right. And some part of the story you've heard, this some part of this is gonna resonate. Even this part about um at the sound of, of the cry of your pilots, the countryside shakes. This reference to the to the um, to an earthquake is part of the Atlantis lore that that the ground shook and then they sank into the heart of the sea. And mm-hmm. so different people are going to remember different parts of the story and pick up on on parts of it. Um, the mariners and all the pilots of the sea stand on the land and shout aloud over you and cry out bitterly. They cast dust on their heads and wallow in ashes. They make themselves bald for you. 
and put sackcloth on their waist, and they weep over you in bitterness of soul with bitter mourning. This idea of lamenting over the fall of Atlantis. I mean, I feel like the world is still <laughs> the world is still mourning the fall of Atlantis. Well, is Atlantis the old world's uh, library of Alexandria? You know what I mean? Because like yeah. we all get that reference. We're all still mourning the yeah. the information lost in the library of Alexandria, and it's like. But people back then, pre pre that yeah. example, maybe maybe Atlantis was that for them. It was like the absolute. I get the feeling from the way even Plato talks about it and the way Egypt talked about it, because mm-hmm. like Egypt talked about it being Egypt, right? The pyramids existed when they were talking about Atlantis as the yeah. absolute peak of human civilization. Yeah, and then Plato, who lives who lives in what Greece was it Greece Greece? Yeah. Um, he's talking about Atlantis as if it was the absolute peak of human civilization, and we just. We while he's of, in like, Greece, which is yeah, while he's the in peak Greece, of human yeah, civilization. Yeah. 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 So you you have two things that, that you could we we would often point to as the peak, um, either Greece or Egypt. And they're like, No, 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 you guys, it was Atlantis. Right, right. Well, I mean, the more that we, you know, talk to people like Graham Hancock and Jimmy Corsetti yeah. and the like, and the more research they do, the more it's Again, what I think is Christians coming to this, it's like, yeah, the pre-flood world was mm-hmm. stupidly advanced. And there's just yeah. more, we're finding this out more all the time, but mainstream can't handle it for multiple reasons. Yeah. Uh, and they will never uh, accept it. But yeah. it's true. <laughs> um, weep over you in bitterness of soul with bitter mourning and they're wailing. They raise lamentation for you and lament over you. Who is like Tyre, like one destroyed in the midst of the sea? When your wares came from the seas, you satisfied many peoples with your abundant wealth and merchandise. You enriched the kings of the earth. Now you are now you are wrecked by the seas in the depths of the waters. Again, it's talking about the city who is wrecked by the sea when the chapter before said that they're wrecked by Nebuchadnezzar and all of his horses and chariots. Mm-hmm. So there's there's obvious they're obviously talking about two different things. It's just here. like that line. Who's like Tyre? Who are we comparing Tyre to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who is it? <laughs> You get it? <laughs> you get it, guys? It's Atlantis. Do you get it yet? Um, now you are wrecked by the seas in the depths of the waters. Your merchandise and all your crew in your midst have sunk with you. All the inhabitants of the coastlands are appalled at you, and the hair of their kings bristles with horror. Their face are, faces are convulsed. The merchants among the people hiss at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Chapter 28. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of the gods in the heart of the seas. Yet you are but a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. That line right there, though you make your heart like the heart of a God, is that the gold juice? Is that what the gold juice does? I'm thinking the same thing. Well, here's the thing, too, is we also know that this is, it's not the exact same wording, but it reminds me of Nimrod was the first example that comes up because Nimrod is not explained as being born as a Nephilim. He became a Nephilim somehow, Mm. right? And again, whether that's activating dormant DNA, a ritual, gold juice, Something. something, Something. Uh, you know, and again, gold juice, if you guys haven't seen that episode, uh, like manna, like the food of the gods or Icor, the blood of the gods or something ambrosia, like that. that yeah. was, ambrosia. Thank you. I, I said manna, but I meant ambrosia. Ambrosia. Wrong drinking, God. Wrong food of wrong God. <laughs> wrong food of wrong God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but ambrosia, right. Is yeah. like in, in the mythology, if you ate ambrosia, you could become like a God. 
uh, or drank ambrosia, depending on which story. But yeah. 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 Um, okay. But uh, sorry, it also says like uh, you you say that I'm a god in the heart of the seas. It, it sounds like you were saying earlier. They've, they've taken I'm the Poseidon. spirit of Atlantis. Yeah. I am Poseidon. Yeah. Or I'm a son of Poseidon. At son least. of Poseidon. At least a son of Poseidon. Um, I am Percy Jackson. <laughs> Percy, That's yeah. literally what he said. Yeah. I'm, the the I'm Prince Percy. of Tyre. Uh, he yeah, pulled out his pen and it turned into a sword. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I now regret making you read that book. Um, you are indeed wiser than Daniel. No secret is hidden from you. Again, gold juice, like secret knowledge, you have all the secret knowledge and you say you're a God and you've made your heart, heart, like the heart of a God. He's got every secret that any, any, um, secret society has ever hidden. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's interesting. You are wiser than Daniel. He's not comparing him to Solomon because Solomon is a, is a uniquely Jewish wise man he's comparing him to daniel who was recognized by like all of these nations as the person with the secrets and and the person with the insight right um he could interpret nebuchadnezzar's dreams like what other secrets are there Mm -hmm. um by your wisdom and your understanding you have made wealth for yourself and have gathered gold and silver into your treasuries by your great wisdom in your trade you have increased your wealth and your heart has become proud in your wealth therefore thus says the lord god because you make your heart like the heart of a god therefore behold i will bring foreigners upon you the most ruthless of the nations and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor they shall thrust you down into the pit and you shall die the death of the slain in the heart of the seas. You shall die the death of the slain. You're dying the same death, death as, as Atlantis, as Atlantis yeah. in the heart of the seas. You're, when you read the three chapters in a row with that understanding, it yeah. just keeps jumping off the page. It does. That is the reference. Because here's the thing. if you, Maybe you don't believe in the whole Atlantis thing, people listening. They're referencing something. It's very clear at this point that they're referencing something. And they're, I, I've not seen a, a good example of what it is outside of the, the thing that everybody in that time in that place understood right. as that would fill all these fit all these requirements and references. Right. Um, you shall die the death of the slain in the heart of the seas. Will you still say I am a God in the presence of those who kill you? Though you are but a man and no God in the hands of those who slay you, you shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of foreigners, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. Moreover, so that was the lament for the prince of Tyre. And now we're going into the lament for the king of Tyre. Moreover, the, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, raise lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to, say to him, thus is the Lord God. You were the signet of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz and diamond, beryl, onyx and jasper, sapphire, emerald and carbuncle and carved in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire. You walked, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. 
Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuary. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you. And I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Well, that's not about the human king of Tyre. I was thinking the same thing. I'm reading this going like, this is, this is God speaking at somebody else through someone, right? This is God saying, the, the fallen angel that, mm-hmm. that is over you, that, that we is probably know as Poseidon, yeah. this was your story. I gave you, as, as it says in the Bible, the, the, the angels have principalities, right? They have, mm-hmm. they have their regions. They have their, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Certain gifts, certain things that they're supposed to be over. The Bible talks about them being over you know, the sun or the moon or this land or water or whatever. And the gods that have fallen away, the fallen angels that have left God behind, they're like, oh, I'm the God, the little G God of, of mm-hmm. water. Um, because that was the dominion that God gave them. Mm-hmm. And then they fell away, and it's uh, to me. I'm reading this, going like, "Oh, this is this is not about the human king of Tyre. This is about the king of Tyre, the the real king of Tyre. Yeah, the yeah. fallen angel over that 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 they're worshiping. Yeah, you you have the lament for the prince of Tyre, who was a human, who yeah. was calling himself a god. But then you have this this thing about the king of Tyre, and yeah, I think that especially on the heels of this whole reference to Atlantis. And Atlantis is specifically, like very explicitly, 100% ruled by, by Poseidon and his half-breed sons. There's, there's, no, um, there's no other god, little g god, associated with Atlantis except for Poseidon. And I think that there's this tendency when people read the Bible and they see something about a fallen angel to say, this is Lucifer. This is this has to be talking about Lucifer. Lucifer is not the only angel who fell. And I think that tradition has done real harm to our understanding of mm-hmm. this in the spiritual world by telling us every every reference is about Lucifer. This one's about Poseidon. There are other right. references to Lucifer. Certainly. Well, we, we've, we've kind of dumbed it down in this way, uh, in a very Hollywood um, uh, way. I don't know how else to describe it. Books and movies and mm-hmm. TV and the things that reference it that are just not accurate, but for stories mm-hmm. uh, that have given us this picture that there's, there's Lucifer, there's Satan, right? And then there's right. demons. And there's not a, mm-hmm. a host, the Elohim that have fallen away from God, of, of small g gods, mm-hmm. of angels. In fact, uh, Creighton, I'm sorry, I can't read it from here. Creighton uh, said, Yeah, said, uh, talking about the powers and principalities, like the Prince of Persia. Yes, we have other references in the Bible, and Daniel's the same time period, by the way, mm-hmm. that it references these fallen angels as mm. princes or as kings over, over nations. Yeah. So when you actually, I, it, it's so frustrating that we've just baked spirituality out of Christianity, which mm. is so insane. I, I know I say that a lot, but it's just more true the more that I, I read the Bible and the more that I try to understand it and not a, why do, let me, let me put it this way. Why have we appe- tried to appease the atheistic, uh, what am I trying to say? Sorry, <laughs> lose my words right now. Uh, materialists. Why have we tried to appease the atheistic materialist arguments so much that we're like, 
oh, the atheistic materialists lack belief. Therefore, we have to try to give the Bible to them packaged in a way that takes out the supernatural and then explains it through like science TM and all the other things to make them believe the thing that they already are dead set against believing, right? And now we've baked the spirituality aspect out of our faith and out of mm -hmm. what's very much in the Bible, again, to try to win over people who have rejected belief in anything. Mm -hmm. it, it's in, I don't know, man, it's insane to me, but do you think that's what it is? I think that's what it is personally. I think it's yeah. like we have started <clears throat> arguing in a materialistic viewpoint as spiritual Christian believers, right? Like mm -hmm. we, <laughs> you know, in our Bible, it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities that rule the air in this world. Right. Do you get what I'm I, saying? Yeah. I, I'm fumbling yeah. a little bit. I, I what, do. I do. And I'm distracted by, by chat. Cause I, I think we're still getting, we're still getting hung up on this idea that every single reference to our enemy, um, to, to any, any of these characters, every single one has been morphed into this one i think we feel like we have to have we have to have god and we have to have satan we have to have this this one satan means adversary so adversary can doesn't have to be one being and we have this idea that like there are two beings there's there's the good one and the bad one and the good one has angels and the bad one has demons um but do you want to you want to can i can, i'm sorry because yeah. i got to talk on this because this pisses me off um the, the reason that that lie is so pervasive and so important to actually understand Mm -hmm. why it's a lie and why it's is dangerous is the reason you have to understand what Gnostic dualism is. It's the mm. reason you have to understand why they use the Moses tiles that show black and white. It's the reason why you have to understand yin and yang. Mm. The lie is that light and dark are co-equals, that Satan and God are co-equals. Co it's yeah. in every book. It's in every movie. There's God and his angels, like you said, and there's Satan, fallen angel, and his demons. Oh Forget that Satan is a created being. The, the Gnostic dualistic belief is that they are equal that light and dark are evil, that Satan and God are, are not evil, are equal. And when you turn everything, and as Swim was pointing out, little L Lucifer is in Lucifer being, or not Lucifer, mm -hmm. uh, Satan, literally meaning adversary, Hasatan, the adversary. Mm -hmm. And when you take that where it's everything is Lucifer and we just forget all of the other references to all the other fallen angels, we understand that like, it's not, he's not a co-equal with God and we stop reading the Bibles and every single thing is this one specific fallen angel mm. and that he has equal power to God will actually start to understand the Bible more. Yes. I think a good way to put this is uh, which, okay, where is the beast in the Bible uh, in revelation? Hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm finding it. Um, in revelation, there's this imagery of this massive dragon. Uh, come on. Where are we? People will say Beelzebub and Satan as, as if they're equals, but, Swim pointed out, Hasatan often is a title, not a name. Beelzebub, mm -hmm. meaning Prince of Baal, you're talking about a name there, right? You're That's talking about an actual one. creature yeah. that when you're realizing that the, the who we think of as Satan, that, that Christ is speaking to in the tower with the 40 days of fasting, is Baal, right? Or is Baal, however you want to say it. That's a better understanding. And then you have to take that back to where that comes from. And you realize that there are all these mm -hmm. fallen angels that are the Old Testament talks about. And we kind of forget the Old Testament. We just think Satan and God. And we don't think about Baal. We don't think about Ishtar. We don't think about Moloch. We don't think about, uh, why well, can't I think of the fish one um, that, that gave all the people, what? Dagon. Dagon, right? There's tons of fallen angel names in the Old Testament. And then you see them again in, in, in Greek. And Okay, so right. I'm going to, I'm going to, 
remind us of Revelation 12. We did a whole stream on Revelation. This is kind of the conclusion we came to about what this part of Revelation is talking about. So it's um, talking about the the sign that appears in heaven, the woman, the woman and the dragon. I'm going to focus on the dragon specifically. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns on his heads, seven diadems. Um, so the dragon is like one dragon, right? But it's got seven distinct like brains, right? Um, and ten horns, which horns are like a symbol of like um, power, power of of like what is it called? Like a stronghold of yep. power. Um, so each of the seven heads has a crown, and there are ten horns on this one dragon. Um, his tail swept swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman. Blah blah blah. Uh, down to verse seven. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So I get this, the idea here that it's being talked to Satan is one thing, right? One adversary that they're fighting, but it's, it's seven. There are seven right. beings there. And then there's additional angels. It's probably angels. talking about a, a group. Like yeah. you said, seven of them. It, the adversary. Yeah. But yeah. Either way. Seven archangels that fell. Yeah. And then, and then there are other lesser angels that go down with this dragon, the ancient serpent. Because we, we even assume we assume that the snake in the garden is Lucifer, but the Bible never says that there are so many things that we are taught as like absolute truth in church about, about the spiritual realm, about how all of this stuff works that are not in the Bible. They are their conjecture based on tradition, based on potentially misunderstanding. And you have to be so careful about what you take as absolute truth when it's not in the Bible and it's just coming out of a preacher's mouth. Right. And then again, I've pointed out, you know, there's a lot of times where people will take things and they'll say it as if it's fact and they're not realizing that they're getting it from uh, a book or a movie or something like that. Um, Paradise Lost being one of the best examples. Like Paradise Mm. Lost is not the Bible. So our understanding of Satan, Lucifer, things like that, it's we we just want to group it all into one dude and then we want to group all fallen angels as their demons and it's not right. biblical demons are talked about as unclean spirits i this is they reference enoch enough that i believe that they're also telling you that that is their interpretation of demons that they are the yeah. spirits of the nephilim uh there's nowhere in the bible where it t- says that demons are fallen angels and they're not talked about the same ever they're not they're mm-hmm. not described the same way they don't do the same things there's nothing about demons and fallen angels that sounds the same except that we've just Again, I really think the lie here, the important lie to understand why I think mm-hmm. this is also important is because if you believe, if somebody said it earlier, if you believe that uh, post Tenebris Lux says, if we think of him as equal, he gets what he wanted when he got booted from the heavens. Yes, we are thinking of Satan, Lucifer, whatever name you want to give him, Beelzebub, as equal to God and having a host of his own angel army fallen angel army and the, their mm-hmm. demons and that demons are equal to angels and all this stuff. It's just, it's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, we're making it, we're, 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 we're giving equivalence to, to God and Satan. 
And I think it's, I think it's a, a yeah. thing that we have to stop doing as Christians. We actually have to right. understand where the power comes from that Satan cannot create because he's not the creator. He is the create, created and he can only pervert. And the fallen angels, that's all they can do is they have certain aspects of power that God granted them, that they have perverted. They have taken what was supposed to be a service to God to point people towards the creator. And then they took that worship on for themselves and they were corrupted by it. And now they seek worship from others. Anyway, I'm, I'm ranting here, but I, I I truly think this is important. I think that we have in the Christian church accepted too much Gnostic thinking as if it's biblical. Satan is in some of the chats is, is still misunderstanding what we're, what we're saying. Um, and, and we don't have to agree, but I don't want to be misunderstood. Um, of course the serpent in the garden is Satan. Satan is all of them. It's not one being who is equal to God. It's, it's this seven headed, seven headed dragon. I mean, that's what the verse in revelation says that the, the dragon with the seven heads is the serpent is the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan. Um, we're just saying there's, there's seven pieces to that. Um, right. that there's this whole group of, of little G gods who, who rebelled and st- well, we're stood told it was a third God. of the heavenly host. And by all uh, understanding, the heavenly host is large, probably larger than the amount of humans on the earth. So like mm-hmm. there's a lot of fallen angels. Um, and there's many times where the Bible will call them Hasatan, the mm-hmm. adversary. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean they're all the exact same. And there's nothing angel. in the Bible that says there are. In fact, there's so much in the Bible that says there are all kinds of these different gods who are being greater and lesser who are being worshiped by these, these different peoples. Baal is one of the biggest ones. There's no indication that Baal is, is Lucifer. We've, we've got it in our heads that every, everything is Lucifer and it's just not, it's just not there in the Bible. Yeah. Kelsey says, so the adversaries do not have the power that we as humans think they do. I'm not saying they're not powerful. They're immensely powerful. What I'm saying is they're not, they're not God's equals. Yeah. They're not God's equals. And that is that is the the lie that we get when we have the imagery around Satan versus God is in the mm-hmm. co-equals, right? So, even honestly, even angels and demons are not co-equals because demons are the spirits of departed Nephilim. So, like they're right. half breeds anyway. So, like that idea also uh, needs to be understood. I think Whiskey Bus says Satan is the name of the band, and the band members are fallen angels. Am I correct with this? Yeah, I think so. And I think, I think that so. the, the band is is not every single angel that fell because it seems pretty clear from those verses in Revelation that a lot more angels fell than these seven. But I think the seven are the archangels that fell. There seems to be a difference in um, in in level to to what the seven are and what uh, what the what the rest are. Oh, okay. I see. I missed the first half of your comment, uh, Kelsey. I see it now. Um, but yeah, let's finish. That. Let's oh, yeah, finish yeah, Ezekiel okay. twenty-eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Where uh, twenty? Uh, prophecy of Sidon, verse twenty. Okay. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face towards Sidon and prophesy against her and say, "Thus says the Lord God: Behold, I am against you, O Sidon, and I will manifest my glory in your midst." And they shall know that I am the Lord when I execute judgments in her and manifest my holiness in her. For I will send pestilence into her and blood into her streets, and the slain shall fall in her midst by the sword that is against her on every side. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And for the house of Israel, there should be no more a brick, sorry, no more a briar to prick or a thorn to hurt them. 
among all their neighbors who have treated them with contempt, then they will know that I am the Lord. Thus says Lord God, when I gather the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered and manifest my holiness in them in the sight of the nations, then they shall dwell in their own land that I gave to my servant Jacob, and they shall dwell securely in it, and they shall build houses and plant vineyards. They will dwell secure, They shall dwell securely when I execute judgments upon all their neighbors who have treated them with contempt, then they will know that I am their, the Lord their God. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Do we want to end it at 28 for tonight or do we want to finish so. 29? What is What comes up next? I just want to see where we're going to leave off. Um, it's tw- 29 is the start of right, several, yeah, the start chapters, of several about chapters about Egypt. So I think yeah. this would be a good place so we don't get halfway through something about Egypt. We can just go through the Egypt stuff next yes. time. Yes. Cool. Yes. It's a good, there's good stuff coming up, but Ezekiel's a long one, you guys. It is. Yeah. Uh, Kelsey asked, is Sidon the, a nickname for Poseidon? I don't think it is. I don't know I... The, the the etymology of Sidon, though. Yeah, let's see. Sidon etymology. Good question. Sidon is the Greek name meaning fishery. Oh, so, so yeah, maybe it is. It is, it it is, is actually from derivative Poseidon. of Poseidon. Okay. Sheesh. I did not know that. Good catch, Kelsey. Very cool. That makes sense. Well done. So, well, I mean, it, it does make sense that fish, fishing towns, would coastal towns, after, would be yeah. uh, worshiping Poseidon. Yeah. Now I want to know what the etymology of Tyre is. Ooh, that's an interesting one. Is that also a reference to, to something? There's a couple of names I caught earlier that were that there was the one city that, that uh, Ezekiel was prophesying against that had Baal in its name, uh, which is a very obvious reference to, the, to their god. Yeah. This might not be known. Might not be known. Um, rock. After the after the okay, I think yeah, I think it's from rock after the rocky formation on which the town was originally built, which goes back to that that piece where God's like, I'm going to make you a bare rock. I'm going to uh, make okay. you tire into rock. Yeah, just revert kind of you back to yeah to rock. Yep. Um, but tire was it's. The Encyclopedia Britannica is saying Tyre built, um, built. It was it's built a combination of on an island and on the neighboring man, mainland. So the city is like in half, kind of on this island and, and on the neighboring mainland, and was probably originally founded as a colony of Sidon. Ah, okay. So that kind of makes sense. So again, there's there's references back to Poseidon worship, yeah. and even formation wise not the same as like rings of land and sea, but still not at all. a but mixture s- of similar. land and sea, yeah. mm-hmm. which is interesting. Mm-hmm. So yep. a lot of good job, Kelsey Atlantis references besides references. And, and like not to belabor it, but after, after you spend like three chapters hitting people over the head with an Atlantis reference, and then next you're like the King of Sidon and you're talking about him. Of course you're talking about Poseidon, right. the King of Tyre. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think so. Um, and I hope, yeah, I hope that uh, a lot of what we said is making sense. I, I know sometimes it seems like we're just arguing semantics or whatever, but mm. I think the semantics are important. And I I know I keep using the example, but when you're off by a little and you just keep going down that road, we've got 2,000 years of bad theology that mm. we have to strip away. And that bad theology has come from this guy said it, and then the next guy repeated it, and then that, that tale kind of grew off into its own right. offshoot of the belief of angels and demons and things like that. We have to understand where sun disks come from. We have to understand like why 
you know, there's there's this very elementary school understanding of the supernatural that we have. And it is mostly maybe harmless, but I don't think it is. I think mm -hmm. that's how we kind of look at it. But I don't think that's true. I think that, like, for example, when we're talking about demons, if a demon is a fallen angel, you're not casting this thing out easily. You know what I'm saying? Um, and it also doesn't make sense. It goes back into what we talked about, like over etherealizing the supernatural instead of understanding it as different realms, yeah. as different, uh, the powers they have can manifest physically. And so we think it is all like really ethereal and spiritual and there's right. no physicality to it at all. And that complete stark separation between physicality and spirituality is not a Christian concept. It's another Gnostic concept. So when I keep repeating these things and saying them, it's because I truly am of the belief that there are two religions. Mm -hmm. There are the fallen angel religions and they all have the same ideas and concepts and their deep, dark secrets are all the same deep, dark secrets of like mm -hmm. giving you the opposite ideas of God. It comes down to when, when you follow it all the way down, every one of these false religions will lead you to child sacrifice will lead you to Gnostic dualistic thinking. It will lead you to the garden of the, uh, uh, the serpent in the garden was good. Actually, the knowledge he was trying to give you was good. Actually, mm -hmm. uh, you, sh you should eat up the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So <clears throat> it's, it's, it's the re it's that reason that I keep hammering on it. I just think that as Christians, we right. have to understand that we are the other religion, the true religion, the one true religion, and that we're, we have to stop like <sighs> grabbing and choosing and picking the 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 things from that other religion that are meant to deceive you they're little deceptions often and it sounds like i'm going well actually but they're important <laughs> my wife teased me about that yesterday she's like you're doing that well actually thing i'm like well actually some of it's actually important. right and i want to i want to say too like in the anunnaki myth which is the oldest fallen angel myth that we have like fully formed right mm -hmm. there's seven of them Yes. Yep. There's there's lesser ones, but there are seven ruling deities of the Anunnaki. Right. So when 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 the Bible says we're fighting a dragon with seven heads, um that's that's who that's who it be, you guys. That's who it be. Um and, and I think that those those fallen angels have presented them presented themselves as different types of gods in different cultures. So you can't always trace a through line through every single God who is associated with water, for example, um, to be the same person. But you can often tell by the spirit of like how they are ruling and how they are worshiped, uh, which one is which, because they do right. have different, um, they are different beings. Right. And I also think the cultural, uh, they're going to they're gonna adopt and uh, with the culture they're in. I think that's the mm -hmm. one thing that some of these people get right is like, we'll see, we'll see um, for example, Aries and Mars have slight differences based on the differences between Greek and Roman thinking. Yes. Aries it's and Mars exactly are the same fallen angel, right? They're the fallen angel of war, mm -hmm. but they are, and, and nobody, no, no one argues that Aries and, and uh, Mars are different. You know, because right. we all realize the, that they're the same in the, you know, materialist, atheistic line of thinking. It's just that the Romans took that story, copy, paste, you know, changed mm -hmm. the name. Uh, but there are differences. And I think those differences come culturally. So like that, that also muddies the waters, makes it a little bit different, difficult. But we'll continue these conversations, guys. I think we've said a whole lot and we probably said more than uh, more than enough for tonight. Sure. 
But uh, thank you guys for being here. Uh, we will be back Wednesday. Do you have, do you want to say what we're covering Wednesday or we're still figuring it oh, out? Oh, yes. Mermaids. We're going to do mermaids. We're talking about mermaids. I'm more, excited. More Enoch Ex-wives stuff. of the sea. More Enoch references, I Can think. Can we keep that as the title? Mermaids, ex-wives no. of the sea. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think it's funny. All right, it's guys. It's funny. I think it doesn't make sense. I don't know. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> You know, because like, never mind. Well, we'll get into it on Wednesday's episode. But uh, anyway, have a great night, everyone. And we will see you Wednesday. God bless.